It's about the tools we use. It's about the stories we tell. It's about how we change. It's evolution, baby. Alright. Here we are. Welcome to the Do the Evolution podcast. I am Jason Lang, and this is my new podcast. Uh, having run the Seventh Kingdom podcast on technology, and having tried and failed to start the Evolving Hollywood podcast, I thought it was time to finally just kind of consolidate and merge all my different brands into one. So at my website, jasonlang.me, my tagline is Film, Technology, and Transformation. Those are the kind of three different things I'm most passionate about. And so I'm bringing them together in this podcast, which some days like today will just be me, maybe riffing on whatever it is I'm currently noticing or passionate or curious about. And other times I'll be interviewing people. Sometimes maybe my friend Stan or Jay from kind of the more tech side of things or film friends or kind of consciousness and transformation friends. Really just everything under those three categories, which are really broad enough that they could cover anything. And sometimes I'll have specific subjects really going in deep, exploring them. Um, other times it's just going to be kind of a hodgepodge of different things for whatever reason I feel commented or compelled to speak on. I'm also going to be doing some video podcasting. Um, haven't done my first one yet, but kind of starting up a little vlog of, you could call them video poems or something of that matter on subjects that might be served best with some imagery or music or sound or multimedia. Pretty excited about those. But those take a little more work than this, so I figured, hell, let's just get started. Don't even really have a whole lot of the branding for this thing done yet. Wasn't even sure what I was going to speak about until the gym yesterday morning. And if there's one theme I think I have for 2017, it's don't wait. Just do it. Just get going. And so here I am, episode one of Do the Evolution, my new podcast. And the first thing that I have on my little scrawled list from my gym notebook, which I take to the gym, I've been taking to the gym with me since 2014, these little um, three by five memo books. I think I'm on my third or fourth one in which every day I just kind of log what my workout was, how many reps I did, grade A to F, how I felt about it, etc., etc. Uh, and sometimes on random days like yesterday, often to be, often tends to be when I'm working out or moving my body. You know, that's when the most ideas or thought tend to come through. So yesterday, that's where the following kind of came through. Of oh, I'll just talk about that stuff on my first podcast, um, and pretty random, but pretty awesome at the same time. And the first thing is someone 
in my Facebook feed maybe last week. Honestly, do not remember who. Um, posted right after George Michael and Carrie Fisher died. Like, ah, oh, why is why is everyone commenting on this? Why is it such a big deal when celebrities die that you've never even met? And I totally get that. Sometimes, you know, I think the same thing. But there's also another side of it that I think is a little more complex. Like, why do people care about when pop culture icons die and people that they've never actually met and barely even know? Like Carrie Fisher, someone who honestly, till she died a week or two ago, I didn't think about often, don't know a whole lot about her life or background or anything for that matter. But I could also feel something when she passed. And I had to ask myself, like, why? Why why would I feel something for someone that passed that I've never met and whose career I honestly didn't even follow that much? But in her case, you know, she's Princess Leia. She's an icon. Empire Strikes Back came out in, I think, 1980, which is the year I was born, and Jedi 1983, so I was three at the time. So that, the original run of Star Wars was, you know, before me in some sense, before I was really conscious. But I absolutely remember we had an original trilogy VHS set of the three movies that I grew up watching. And in particular for me, I would watch the trilogy all at once, um in elementary school or junior high whenever I was sick. I wasn't sick often. High school, I was never sick at all. Never missed a day. But in elementary school and junior high, if I got sick and I was home for the day, I would watch the trilogy start to finish, those VHS copies. And I loved them. I loved the experience of going through all three movies and the journey they took me on. And Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, was a huge part of that. And I spent countless hours with her with her character. And so when someone like her dies, it's not that I'm necessarily missing her personally, or maybe even that, you know, she as a person impacted me, but her character, her presence on screen, her timelessness absolutely impacted me. So when she died, I had to think about all the times I watched her. And it reminded me of those elementary school or junior high days popping in those VHSs and being transported somewhere else. And I think that's, you know, my story as to why a lot of people might be passionate or have so many feels when a celebrity dies, whether it's a musician or a actor, actress, filmmaker, painter, you know, whatever. It's that art in itself is timeless. And every time we encounter a piece of media, you know, it's a form of time travel in a sense of part of what I love about classics like Star Wars is the experience of revisiting them throughout my life, their touchstones. And every time I watch it, in some ways, I'm revisiting even in just a totally unconscious, subtle level, revisiting the other moments in which I watched it. So when she dies, I have to, you know, I think about, oh man, yeah, I grew up watching her. And she's dead now. And that's crazy. And that reminds me of mortality. And that reminds me of the fact that I used to be a kid once. I used to be in elementary school. I used to worry about 
God knows what I worried about the, at those times, but you know, I had concerns. I can't even remember them now. And so, yeah, just simply when she dies, you know, it reminds me of the passing of time and mortality. And every time I watch that trilogy now, or the new ones for that matter, and have to realize she's gone and she's never coming back. You know, one of my favorite um, random movies that really exemplifies this and perhaps even where I got a lot of the seed for this kind of concept uh, is My Dinner with Andre, the crazy 19, I don't know, it was 80, 81 or 82, um, Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory movie. That's really just a conversation between two people. Yet I love it. It shouldn't work in film. It's actually more of a play, but something about how they pulled it off actually makes it a really riveting, amazing film. Anyway, I discovered that movie because of Roger Ebert, who was someone I definitely felt the impact of when I passed because I grew up reading his reviews every Friday in Chicago and my family would watch Siskel and Ebert on local access kind of as far back as I can remember on the little TV in our little ranch house in Schaumburg, Illinois, um, which we only lived in until I was maybe 10. But I can remember Ebert and uh, Siskel watching that as far back as I can go. So anyway, Roger had a big impact on me and is one of the many reasons why I just am so passionate about film and the technology of film for that matter. But so he actually has two reviews of My Dinner with Andre up. One is the one he wrote when the film was initially released back in the 80s. And then there's another one he wrote for his Great Movies series. And Great Movies was, I don't know if it was once a week or once a month, probably once a month. He would go back and revisit movies he kind of felt were canon, like so important to the history of cinema, everyone should see them. And I worked my way through a lot of his Great Movies, certainly not all of them. But his review... His Great Movies review of My Dinner with Andre uh, really talks about kind of his experience of, excuse me, one of the reasons he loves watching that movie is every time he watches it, even even though the movie's the same, he's a completely different person. So he gets to feel and experience the movie in a different way and think about who he was the previous times he watched it and feel the difference. And that is 100% true for me. It's totally true in My Dinner with Andre. It's totally true in Star Wars. It's absolutely true in the Before Trilogy, which I just watched again with my fiance this last weekend, which that trilogy explicitly even plays with that um, quality of kind of time travel and revisiting moments and the magic of feeling change over time. So yeah, that's probably enough on that one, but uh, something interesting to think about, I think why these pop culture icons and touchstones of our culture, you know, impact us when we pass. And for me, it is, it's that fact. It's, it's reminding me of the passage of time and mortality and that nothing is permanent. So riffing off Star Wars from there, and speaking of Princess Leia, the other thing on my mind is, in a lot of people's mind, is Rogue One, which I saw about a week and a half ago with my family in Illinois. And which I liked, but I didn't love. Gareth Edwards, uh, I mean, when I saw Monsters on Netflix years ago, I was floored. 
super low budget, but super amazing. And honestly, totally jealous. He, I think, <coughs> wrote, directed, shot, and did post-production, and maybe even scored that movie, doing his own visual effects and everything. And it's totally awesome. And it's totally a great example of just make something. Don't wait. And that movie got him Godzilla. And Godzilla more or less got him Rogue One. And Rogue One is beautiful. It is shot just, ugh, it's gorgeous. Everything about the world feels alive and crisp and real and lived in. And tied to both the prequels and the originals in terms of their grittiness, but also CG. And there's definitely some mistakes. Uh, I don't know whose decision it was to reanimate um, Tarkin. I can't remember the actor's right na name right now. But to CG resurrect him from the dead, I thought it was horrible. I know some people didn't even notice he was CG. But every time he was on screen, I felt like I was watching a horrendous video game cutscene with dead lifeless eyes and a weird breathing and weird acting. And it took me 100% out of the movie and was not worth whatever cohesion they had hoped would tie it into the main trilogy. And what's most frustrating for me about that is it wasn't even really necessary. Um, an authoritarian regime, you could easily use bureaucracy as a reason for him to have never talked to Tarkin or had Tarkin mostly be off screen or whatever. And same thing with Carrie Fisher, reanimating her as a young Leia at the end just totally took me out of the movie. Did not feel like her. Did not feel real. And even more so was totally unnecessary. Our first vision of her is a shot of her and her white from behind. That was it. Didn't need anything more than that. Why they had to cut to the front of her, I don't know. Vagueness is often more powerful in film. And her silhouette from behind would have been enough. I don't know if there's anyone on the planet that wouldn't have known who that was in that shot. And if they didn't, even more exciting when they go watch episode four and realize it's her. Totally frustrating. Took me right out of it. Oy. Overall, it was a good movie. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was tight. It looked good. But it was also, I think, kind of... A symptom of the same problems as the prequel not as bad for sure way more watchable way more cohesive but i would say the characters um totally forgettable even their names totally forgettable and who like who are they i couldn't even tell you you know there's that test they use kind of differentiating the prequels and the original trilogy of like if you had to describe han solo without using his name and just kind of adjectives about his character or personality, could you do that? And I think most people could. Most people can. You know, he's brash, he's arrogant, he's daring, he's by the seat of his pants, he's, he's lucky, and he's kind of funny. But try to use that with any of the characters in the prequel, and it's kind of impossible, because they're not actually characters. They're just devices to move the plot forward. And that's totally what Rogue One felt like to me. I mean, the only character with any character was the CG animated robot, which I get the kind of irony of that. Um, it's a little disturbing. 
but he's the one who had actual personality and I think why people you know respond to him the other characters you know the blind um, temple guardian and his buddy they were great you know they I would say they definitely suffered from action figure syndrome meaning you could identify them more by physical characteristics or things they carried or how they fought than by their character but there was enough with the you know I'm one with the force uh, the force is with me or whatever he said that gave them a little something but the rest uh, Jin Erso the lead character and the pilot who or the assassin I guess I should say I, I don't know shit about them I don't know what their motivations were I don't know how they behave you know for as much flack as Force Awakens got and being overly reliant on the original trilogy and just a total rehash. You know, Rogue One kind of is too. Third act, same thing as Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, and Force Awakens. Big space battle, cross-cut with Battle on Planet. Whoop-de-doo, we've seen that before. Now, this was a great version of it, for sure, but I was a little disappointed because when I first heard about Rogue One, I thought they might do in the Star Wars universe what they have been starting to do in the Marvel Universe. Imperfectly, for sure. But the fact that they're, you know, nearly two dozen comic book movies in with Marvel means they have to kind of innovate to keep it interesting. So we're starting to see, you know, buddy comedies, spy thrillers, uh, kind of mystical in the comic book universe. And I thought Rogue One was actually going to be like a spy thriller. Like, whoa an espionage movie about how they got these plans. And so I was totally disappointed when it came down to the same space slash land final third act battle. Now it's great because this is just a one-off. They didn't have to make it into a trilogy with a continuing story other than going into episode four, but it wasn't nearly as innovative as I hoped it, it would be. And it was honestly just entirely too complex. All the crap with, um, forced Whitaker's character, and just like the convolution of going this planet to that planet, like my family had no idea what was going on. And that's a pretty bad sign. You know, I'm a nerd. I could track it. I'm a huge fan. But you could drop anyone into the original Star Wars episode four. And they're going to know who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, and what the goal in any moment is. That is absolutely not the case with Rogue One, which I think is a failure of the story. And looping back around to my comparison to The Force Awakens, which I totally just went off on a tangent. Um, what I think that movie did that Rogue One doesn't is our first scene with Rey in The Force Awakens is what? It's maybe five minutes montage, not even montage, of just her exploring silently and we're seeing her life. And I feel like in that silent sequence of The Force Awakens, we learn more about who ray is as a person as a human as a unique individual and in the way she expresses herself and lives her life then we do all of rogue one and Jin. she's basically just responding to plot the whole time now some of that may be because of what they cut i don't know they had a lot of reshoots but the way it en ended up on the screen i couldn't tell you anything i felt nothing for that character when she passed i had zero understanding of what her actual deep motivations in any moment were other than this happened so she did this this happened so she did this which is really just her as plot device not her as character so overall you know not my favorite star wars movie 
definitely better than the prequels, but I don't get why everyone's raving about it other than it looked pretty. I think it's a little, I don't think it's going to age well. Let me put it that way. Taking a moment to collect. And so it turns out this first episode's a lot of, a lot of kind of film stuff. Because the other thing, this last weekend, I watched the Before Trilogy and also introduced my fiancé to Avatar for the first time, which I haven't watched in years, and which I fucking love. Now, people hate on Avatar. Oh, my God. Sometimes it drives me nuts how cool it got to hate on it. And usually it has something to do with, oh, that's, it's just such an old story. We've heard it before. It just dances with wolves in space. <coughs> yeah, it is. And you know what? That's a fucking good story. Dances with wolves in space. That's awesome. And pretty much every major story is a story that's already been told before. There's why we have these deep architects of, archetypes of stories going way back. In James Cameron, while he is no king of dialogue, at the worst, his dialogue is efficient, meaning it actually serves what's happening in the story, which is hard for a lot of people to even execute that. And his movies make sense. They make sense in a way that if you sit with them, you realize how little most movies make sense. In Avatar, like... Dances with Wolves in Space. Okay, so you've seen that before. Boo-hoo. But have you ever seen it as well executed as it was in that film? I mean, come on. That film is fucking amazing. The effects, the plot, the richness of the world. The fact that the characters we see on screen for 90% of the movie aren't even human. And I forget and I treat them as actual characters and they have more personality than a lot of films real actors have, tying it back into Rogue One. And what I love about the Avatar story, tying more into the transformation side of things and this concept of the, the outsider who joins the native indigenous population, you know, what's that story really about? That story is about a closed system getting new information added to it. That's about a closed system opening up. That's about evolution. That's about diversity. That's about new perspectives making something more than what was there before. Jake Sully has something important for the Navi people, something they don't have. And conversely, they have something he doesn't have. And by mixing together, they make something new, something stronger, something more whole, something that includes more of reality, something that is actually an evolution. And I think that's why that's a story we've seen before. And that's a story we're going to see for all times. And whether it's an indigenous tribe or small closed population and a new hero comes in or a new hero heroine comes in that's an outsider there's a reason that is an important story important things happen when closed systems open up it's new perspectives coming into play and so people shit on that movie all the time 
but it's one of my all-time favorites. If I made a movie that good, I could die a very happy man. And that's probably one of the only movies, and I would say the last decade, maybe since The Matrix? No, perhaps, actually maybe since Harry Potter, I would say, but even Harry Potter was a book. But Avatar's probably the most recent movie I can think of that I'm passionate about that actually opened up and created a new culture, a new space, a new place in our psychic minds that we can visit with its color palette and its costumes and its people. And that is rare in cinema. You know, we had it in Star Wars, Mad Max, The Matrix, maybe Indiana Jones. But these subcultures of film in which an actual new, I would even say, part of our psyche becomes available, a new aesthetic. Blade Runner, I would say maybe as well, becomes available. Avatar did that. Now, you might not like that world, but he fucking created it. And it's had impact on me. And I would rather see a new world, imperfect or recycled as the story may be, than the same garbage we see on screen every summer. So yeah, I fucking love Avatar. And I think the thing about Avatar, probably more than other movies, but a lot of the, the biggest pop culture movies that people are drawn to, you know, whether it's Star Wars, The Matrix, or Avatar, I think why people are drawn to them is they're kind of about spirituality. Oftentimes, maybe more in the background, but in the three case of those three, Star Wars, The Matrix, and Avatar, like explicitly. And I think that's actually what draws people to them. There's a reason Avatar is the most highest grossing movie of all time globally. And yeah, the 3D and the effects were awesome. But I think it's about the spirit. I think it's that they're movies about actually connecting to something higher. They're movies about fate and destiny and becoming your best self. And people are drawn to that. God knows it's not something most of our pop culture talks about anymore, but it's something that all the best original tales and myths, I think, you know, Hero's Journey style, were about. I think that's it. That's probably the first episode. Was it fun to listen to? I don't know. Let me know. This is probably the biggest experiment of all this type of stuff I've done so far. Just commenting and talking and interviewing and really just tickling my own fancy. So stay tuned. Uh, the benefit of having my own podcast while I loved having co-hosts is I have zero excuse to not produce them regularly because all I need to do is sit down and start talking. Don't need to wait for schedules. Don't need to wait for ideas that we both agree on or any of that. Uh, so this is, this podcast is going to be a challenge to me, challenge to me to keep producing, keep creating. And I hope you will listen and share and let me know what you'd like to hear me talk about or comment on, or hell, email me and let's talk together and make an episode out of it. Until then, this is Jason Lang.
with the Do the Evolution podcast, covering filmmaking, technology, and transformation. See you next time. Special shout out and thanks to Screaming Witness for the amazing intro and outro song. Check them out.